0: Coaches, of world, well. welcome back to the Coaches Rising podcast. And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that I think is really, really important. Normally, we're talking about the art of, you know, effective, impactful coaching. And today we're going to be exploring the art of enrolling coaching clients. You know, if you haven't got clients, then you can't do effective coaching. But we're going to find out how closely those two are connected. You know, that actually enrolling clients is the art of effective coaching. And I'm going to be speaking to Toku McCree, who's somebody I met a couple of months back at the Rich Litvin Intensive. And I was just really impressed with the the way he was talking about coaching, his dedication to practice and the distinctions that he was making around coaching that really kind of created some new possibilities for me and my work. So I thought, let's get him on the podcast. And he's going to talk to us about coaching beyond the yes and no. It's this you know, it's this kind of last 10% of the, of the enrollment process of a client where the client has, uh, you know, they've said yes or they've said no to working with you. And, you know, it's a place where a lot of coaches either freak out or they just kind of don't give it any attention and they move on pretty quickly. And Toku had a, a, an amazing breakthrough where he discovered what happened when he, when he slowed down in that place, and began to to continue coaching the client, not in order to kind of put pressure on them to sign, but in order to to serve them, to truly serve. So um, that's what we're going to be exploring today, and I think it's a it's a beautiful podcast.
1: So the concept that's kind of interesting that I talk about when I talk about enrollment is that um, most coaches spend about, um, I would say most of their time focused on the first 90% of the enrollment process. And it's actually in the last 10% that all the gold or all the gold is.
0: Right. Right.
1: And that's in this realm of coaching beyond yes or no. And that's really like, that's what makes and breaks really a coach's business is that last 10%. And it's the 10% where we are most likely to abandon a client. I call it leaving a client at the altar. I'm most likely to leave a client at the altar. It's the, the chance. It's the place where all of the other mistakes in our enrollment process arises and it's one of the least understood parts of the, I mean, like really nobody talks about it. I mean, not even, the product first coach doesn't even talk about it because it's after, it's kind of after propose. Right. So we talk about it a little bit. So we talk a lot about everything from getting clients to having the conversation to doing the proposal, but it's actually this last 10%, which is almost nobody talks about is actually the most important part of the coaching conversation. Cool. Not just from a sales perspective, like from a change perspective, it is the thing that actually creates change in clients.
0: Well, I want to, um, I, I can feel the excitement of this topic already. Um, All right. I want to I kind of, before we go into that, I want to back up and just ask you about your story and relationship to enrollment. Totally. And I think that's really interesting um, because I know y- you, um, you just mentioned The Prosperous Coach and you're, you, you read that book one day, uh, as a lot of coaches are getting onto that book, and it's a fantastic book. Um, tell me about the story of like what happened after you read that and how it impacted your coaching. Cause I, I get that there was more to it than just that, wasn't it? Just, just sure. reading and buying that book.
1: So there was a, a lot of things that happened on my pathway to enrollment, but the, the prosperous coach was a big turning point actually had gone a very traditional uh, route and trying to build my business. I hired a, a marketing coach who was really great. I mean, she does a great job. Um, and I just don't think I was ready to work with her. And I i was actually hand to Buddha. I was sitting in meditation and it, in a, in a, a Buddhist uh, meditation room and had this realization that everything I was doing in my business was wrong. It was just, there was something about it was off. And so um, I had been looking around for texts about how to, um, learn about enrollment. And uh, friend had recommended The Prosperous Coach, so I read it. And it was just this big epiphany, like, oh, like I can do this. I understand how this works. It feels really good. I didn't have to know what my niche was. I didn't have to know what my ultimate result was. I could go out and use just my ability to make calls and connect with people to create a business. And so um, I started using The Prosperous Coach approach. But um, what I did was different than what I think most people do when they read The Prosperous Coach. And which is they look at the Prosperous Coach as a comprehensive system, and they try to do everything at the same time. They try to go from connect, they do connect, invite, create, propose as a process. But actually, the Prosperous Coach is a set of probably four to six kind of core competencies that need to be practiced and mastered independently. And it's the reason why people get the Prosperous Coach, but don't, they obviously don't do well with it, is that um, what Rich and Steve did is they made a very complicated subject very simple, but in that simplicity, they lost a lot of nuance. And so you actually have to go into each phase of that process to master it. So what I did was I spent probably two to three weeks just mastering connecting until I, I was just really good at connecting with people. I could go out, get people in a conversation. And then I spent maybe another, you know, as I was doing that, another month mastering invitations. Like, How do I invite? What's too early? What's too late? Just practicing it, paying attention to it. And then, um, and then, working on create. How do I like do really powerful coaching? How, what's what's the elements of that? And then going on to proposing. And as I got into proposing, I realized there was this other step that they didn't talk about in the Prosperous Coach, which is called coaching beyond yes and no, which is everything that happens after the client says yes and no. Which is the big epiphany I had. It was in a conversation. Um, I had said my numbers. The client had said. The client had said no. And, um, I was kind of doing that dealing with objections Mm. and I slowed down and I was like, what if I just treated this just like coaching? And I just started coaching them around the commitment. Like I would have any other part of the coaching conversation. And I realized that the conversation we were having right then was the most important part of the coaching we'd had up until that point that literally every like, Everything we had said before that was a conversation they'd had with other coaches, with their with their husband, with the people they worked with. They'd had that conversation hundreds of times. But this conversation, the conversation we were having around commitment, was truly a once-in-a-lifetime conversation. And that every client that ha- I had got brought into that process before, that I had left them at the altar. I had left them at that key moment when they could have actually made a commitment to change their lives. And so then I became obsessed with this part of the coaching conversation I call coaching beyond yes or no, which I really think is the most powerful opportunity, not only to create a successful business, but also to really change the life of the person you're talking to.
0: So, so like I get that because, you know, a lot of coaches, it seems like when they get to that part about money, which is what you're saying, that they, they can start to um, freak out about that part, you know, especially if the client is hesitating about money, they're not quite sure about it um and and the, the maybe coaches want to rush through that or they start to feel tension and and what you did in that moment at some point was instead of you know using your formula or, or trying to convince them or whatever it is you actually did the opposite you slowed down and you started to get curious about what was going on for them in that moment that, w- that would have them hesitate which i love you know i think that's i think that's beautiful so um and, and and just as an aside here, you know, we we, we met in um, Rich Litvin's intensive, and um, something I'm getting about you, I don't know you that well, but, but what I you know what I loved about you there, and what I love about you now is just you've got this dedication to 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 like practice and to to the art, you know, like the mm-hmm. Samurai Coaching Dojo. That's your, your website, you know. It's like what I appreciate about you is you're, you're standing up for like a level of excellence and and mastery, which has a I feel has a very strong sincerity behind it. It's like, mm. yeah, let's really do this. It's not gimmicks. It's not tricks. Let's go right into this and practice. So, um, that's what I'm hearing as you, as you share your story.
1: Yeah. I think probably one of the most important things I ever did as a coach was I, I stopped looking for shortcuts. I think a lot of what's in the coaching industry is let's find the shortcut. And um, In some ways, when we stop looking for shortcuts, that's when we have an opportunity actually to grow very, very quickly. And before I was thirty years old, I had over thirty jobs. And what I learned in all those jobs, I learned how to be a rapid learner, how to acquire information and really master something very quickly. And so those lessons, when I applied them to my coaching, became really powerful because when I stopped looking for those shortcuts and I was saying, okay, I'm really willing to do this work of I really want to master each element of my craft. I want to master um, what it means to be a great coach, obviously, but I want to master what it means to invite people into conversation and to serve them powerfully and to propose to them in a way which will create commitment for them, that will give them an o- the best opportunity they're going to have with me to really make a commitment to do something different with their lives.
0: Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Um, yeah, I love that sincerity because I I believe in the same thing too. You know, I think there's a lot of... Um, you know, there's a lot of bad coaching out there, or like hokey stuff. And I think the uh, the more we can kind of um, increase that level of like uh, mastery and excellence um, and depth, then that's going to serve the whole field because coaching is just going to get a better and better name, and more and more people will want to do it. So, um, but we left people hanging, you know. So <laughs> let's, come let's come back to that that place, you know. So you're talking about this um, this last kind of part of the enrollment process. You know, mm. we've been invited in, you've connected, created a powerful experience, and then we're talking about money. So tell me more about um what did you discover about that when you slowed down?
1: Yeah, so um Steve Chandler once quoted on it was on Facebook or something, but he said um you know whether or not you love it. In our society, in our time, nothing commits people like money. And so Um, the hard part for a coach at the end of the coaching conversation is that they have a lot of, a lot of emotions to come up for them around money and the clients going to have a lot of emotions and feelings around money. And so it's a really challenging moment where it's probably the the moment our client clients need us the most. And what I discovered was that, um, when I let go of them saying yes or no, but focused fully on what am I, I'm asking this person to commit to something. So what are they really, what, what are they committing to? And what I discovered is when I went into the conversation of Coaching Beyond Yes and No with the clear goal of at the end of this conversation, I want to lead this client to a clear commitment. The process of working with them not only became really powerful, but became it, it felt really easy to, to do enrollment. It felt really easy to talk about money because I realized that we weren't really talking about money. We were really talking about commitment. And what was great about that was that even if they said no to me, I could get them to say yes to something else. So I was in an enrollment conversation with someone yesterday. We, I was, I've been partnering with a, um, a consultant to do a kind of a coaching consulting model um, with high level speakers, and um, we were talking to this woman, and she said, you know, I've, I've moved a lot recently, and it just it feels like a no for now, and I felt the truth for that. And so I could have got up the phone and said, all right, that's it. You know, that she said no, or I could have quote unquote dealt with her objections. And instead I, I had this deeper conversation with her around like, what would it take for her to commit to something and what would that need to look like? And we got her to this place of she committed to doing a 90 day experience of writing her memoir. And I agreed, you know, that I would hold that possibility for her and that I would check in with her in 90 days, to see how she was doing. And, um, instead of leaving that conversation with her being like, oh, I wanted to coach, but the timing was bad, or I feel, you know, you guys gave me all this time, I feel bad about it. She left that conversation with, I have a clear goal and path to move forward, which really served her powerfully. And I think the coaching could have also served her powerfully. But the point was that when we bring a client into this space of transformation, I think as coaches, we have I think we have an obligation to really lead them out in a way that's powerful, right? The power doesn't end when they say yes or no. The power continues beyond that. And when I hold that stance as a coach, when I go all the way to coaching beyond yes or no, not only do my clients get served more powerfully, but what's amazing is I also sell a lot more as a coach, right? And there's a lot of parallels between doing excellent enrollment and doing excellent service. I think that's what I really learned at the end of this conversation was that I could do all the things that were right from a selling perspective but also serve the client really powerfully
0: well actually the question bubbling up is related to that because you know what's the difference between being a bit pushy and and and, and doing what you're talking about it doesn't sound pushy it sounds like but it sounds like bold as well you're not just you know, if the client says, "Oh, uh, I'm not ready right now. That's too much money," and you you kind of back off immediately and let go, you're you're staying in connection and saying, "Hang on a minute. Let's talk about that a bit more." So how, like, how do you do that in a way that's that doesn't come across as being, you know, "Oh, he's trying now. He's trying to convince me into into doing it."
1: yeah and and sometimes I don't I don't do this well. I mean, I wish I could say I do it perfectly every time, but this is this is a practice, right This isn't about perfection. People think that enrollment's about getting all these parts perfectly down, but it's about constantly practicing with it and learning how to do it. Um, so I think the other thing we often don't talk about in enrollment is that there's these two selves we have to hold. In every moment of enrollment. So there's the one self. There's the Toku that's kind of the monk, the Bodhisattva that just wants to help everyone out of the goodness of his heart, right? I mean, this version of me would coach for free, would you know, just do endless conversations with people who are never going to commit to anything. Just loving, compassionate, just full, open-hearted self. And that part of me is really focused on service. And so in the coaching conversation, there's a part of me I'm always holding that just believes in this person nonstop and is willing to kind of do anything to be a stand for them. And then there's another part of me, which I, I call it's, I call it my Panther and it's, it's like the hunter in me. It is this part of me that understands that um, enrolling a client not only benefits me because I get to continue my business, but benefits the person and it's a little bit more discerning. It's a little bit more like a hunter. Mm -hmm. And so in that enrollment conversation, I'm holding both of these truths as being real. And what I see most coaches do is either they try to do what I call spiritual bypass selling, which is they try to just totally sell from this place of I'm going to help everyone, which is great, but it's not, there's no boldness in this, right? There's no edginess in this, or there's edginess, but it's sort of false edginess, false innocence, or they show up as the hunter. And when you show up as a hunter, you're going to show up as pushy. So the way, what I see is that people who, who propose and then get a no and then kind of go, that's okay. I'll, you know, send you an article. Those are the people who are kind of living in this this sort of monk mentality. I'm going to serve, and if they say no, I'll just completely back off. And people who are panthers, they have, and then uh, people will say no, and then they'll get really pushy. They'll deal with objections. They'll challenge the person in all these different ways, and uh, end up coming off kind of funky. So the way to do this really artfully is you hold in your reality yourself uh, both the part of you that really wants to make the sale, that sees the benefit of making the sale, and is thinking of all the sales tactics and techniques and dealing with objections, that part of you, while also holding this part of you that's just a complete stand for the client. And it is in that tension that you can both make a bold stand, can say, this commitment's really important, and at the same time, not come off as a pushy jerk. Mm.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Maybe we could, um, would you be willing to talk about the example you shared? Like, what what was the... How did that look for you in that moment? I know you don't want to give any details away about the confidentiality, but... Sure, what, sure. Can you, yeah.
1: Um, so part of what we discovered, I mean, the, one of the first things I did is I took coaching off the table. I said, let's, you know, we're not going to talk about enrollment anymore. I just want to find out for you, like, what, com- what does commitment look like? And we started having this conversation. I asked her, um, you know... What would your life need to look like for this to be a, a good place to consider this this decision? Because that was her main objection. Her main objection was my life is too chaotic right now to make this commitment. Mm-hmm. And she had just moved houses and they had a new baby. So there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of good evidence to sort of back up that idea. So what would your life have to look like for the, for you to make really be able to look at this decision? Was the first question I asked. And the next question I asked is, you know, what what results, what would you want to know that you were gonna get out of this so that you could um, you could move forward. Like, what would you be really excited about? And as I asked those two questions, we started to have this conversation around what she wanted her life to look like now and what she ultimately wanted, to, wanted it to look like. And what we realized was, um, one, that while her life was chaotic now, there was no sort of point in her life where it would have been easy to make this decision. So that was we kind of solved the fa- falseness of that story. And the other thing we realized was that there was no outcome she could think of that would ultimately be satisfying. And so we came to this place where she realized that she had this fundamental problem that a lot of us do that, you know, it's sort of never enough. Um, At one point she said she, you know, she wanted to have the impact of a famous movie star. I won't tell you which one, but it's a famous movie star. And, and we came to the realization of like, you know, we could create a plan to help you get there, but it's still not going to feel satisfying. And so what I said was, well, in 90 days, you know, after you've settled down a little bit, if we began our conversation with this conversation around you being enough, would that be an interesting place for us to start? And she said, said, yeah, that would actually be really, would be really powerful. So what normally could have been a question about, you know, what are the logistics, what is the price point you want? What, you know, what elements of the coaching? And she gave us some of that. She said she would have liked more structure or more of a plan. Um, but what we uncovered was these really important aspects about who she was that would have that only came up at the point of commitment. Right? All the other it's actually something we'd never talked about before. And we'd probed into it and I asked her a lot of questions that would have revealed that. But it wasn't until this point of commitment that she was like, Oh, actually here's this thing standing in the way and I realize it's actually standing in the way of me being satisfied in with everything in my life.
0: Yeah. I mean I I loved that part of it because it's you know, that's often where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? When it comes down to that, like decision to commit to exchange, uh, you know, uh, money, uh, you know, it, like that's when it all kind of can become so real. And, and what you've done there is you've actually, you know, you've taken it, you've used that moment to go much deeper into the, into the person and what would serve them and the, and the nature of a coaching relationship. And so I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, uh, let me let me ask you this like um, one of the things I saw on your website was you talked about enjoying enrollment you know enjoying that process of enrollment and uh, that's something I've heard I've heard Rich and Steve talk about too um, and it's something I I haven't gotten to that place yet you know I'm still learning about enrollment
1: and um, well are you enjoying not enjoying enrollment
0: yes I am You're, I am I am that's true <laughs> I am. I'm enjoying learning the art of enrollment and I'm enjoying um,
1: being on my edge. So I'm probably breaking all sorts of interview protocols, but no, I'm no, curious, sure. what yeah. what about the enrollment process don't you enjoy?
0: Uh, uh, good question. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a fear of the unknown sometimes. It's being mm-hmm. able to conduct these moments that you talk about where somebody might be, um, you know, kind of about to say no, and, and, and like you named it on your website, instead of being open to that and being able to slow down and, and say, hey, uh, let's mind if we carry on the conversation. This is really interesting. Um, it's like th- there's maybe a kind of um, tensing up a little bit mm. you know, and, a, and a kind of like fear of of like, okay, I need to do something here to make this work you know, which takes me out of my kind of presence. And mm. um, and I think it's about practice, you know, and I know that's something else that you've, uh, you're an
1: advocate. For. I'm not going to let you off the hot seat quite yet. Is yeah. that okay? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. So what you don't about en- enjoy about enrollment is that you feel tense and you feel afraid, and then there's a sort of judgment there about, well, I should be really present in this moment, but I actually feel tense and afraid. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So,
0: I mean, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, uh, it's not overwhelming me
1: like, but it's, right. but it's, it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 So that's beautiful. And I, I, to- I feel the same way in enrollment. So just so you know, like I've done tons of enrollment, I feel moments of tension. And um, in a minute, I'd love to talk about the sort of guilt of the guilt of enrollment, but I, I actually want to highlight that feeling of discomfort, That feeling of discomfort is exactly what your client is going through, and it's the reason why the part of enrollment is so powerful. Is because this bottleneck of commitment creates a a, a real palpable sense of pressure, and so it's it is harder for you as a coach. I understand why it's not enjoyable. Um, It's also not enjoyable for your client. Like they don't, they really don't want to commit. I mean, they're sort of up against the wall and. You know, am I? And their options are really: do I commit to this thing and you know make a big change, really shift who I am as a person? It's what it feels like for them. Or do I not commit and kind of feel like I'm giving up on myself? That's I mean, that's often the crucible the client is in, and sometimes they'll project that onto you. Like they'll either project that feeling onto you, or that project that like it's your fault that I'm not making the commitment. They're sort of not taking ownership, but. It's that exact feeling of discomfort with why this part of the conversation is so powerful. I mean, if you look at chemical studies or ways we do experiments, when you put something under an extremely high amount of pressure, then you can do a lot of really interesting things with those objects or in those situations. And so the very thing that makes enrollment not enjoyable for you is exactly the thing that makes it so powerful. It's why it's so important that we do practice this and show up in this way, because those high pressure moments are when things can really, really shift for you and for the client. I mean, I love that. I love that. That excites me. And, and I got a completely
0: different, I mean, you just you just gave me a distinction that's opened up something for me there. And, and, I, and I thought while you were saying that, I was like, so those clients that say yes to working with me very easily... Actually, in those moments, perhaps I should be slowing things down again yep. and saying, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, you know, like, because I, what I'm getting from what you're saying is if people, if people commit on that level, if they get clear about what's going on and they find a yes, but on that level, that's just a game changer for you guys, for us to start our work together. The very foundation of where you start from is different.
1: If you're doing coaching the right way. Well, uh, the right way, if you're doing coaching in a way that's really artful, you will reach a point with every client, it might be in the enrollment, it might be later on, where the pressure of the container makes them very, very uncomfortable. And that the way, in a way, they will not survive the coaching, they won't survive the enrollment, they won't survive the coaching, that the previous version of who they were, the previous way they organized their thoughts and their mind and their ways of being will not be able to path pass through the barrier that you've created. Um in Zen, we use um Zen Buddhism, we use koans, which are these uh questions. And I, I once described those questions as um it's like a wall you the wall that your mind can't get through. And so you throw your being against this wall and eventually something changes about your mind or cracks open about it and you're able to pass through the wall, but your mind doesn't really pass through intact. And in a way, enrollment is an opportunity to do that. But if you have a client say yes you will end up at that enrollment point at some point along your coaching. And the client will either want to quit, so they'll drop out, of the, drop out of your program, they'll disappear, or they'll quit in a subtle way. They'll show up to the calls, they'll say they're doing the work, but they'll do a subtle quitting. Um, my friend Adam Quiney talks about this all the time, that if you're doing coaching right, your clients will want to quit. So what happens in this opportunity of enrollment is it's, it's sort of a chance to give them their first opportunity to quit and have them have an experience of almost quitting but persevering. Which is you're totally right. You need to coach beyond the S2. If they say yes, you need to increase the ca- the pressure of the container so you know they're crossing over a threshold that's meaningful. Or separately you might need to raise your prices because for whatever reason the commitment you're asking them to make monetarily doesn't match the kind of the, the frequency of the person you're coaching.
0: Well that also was something I was about to mention, you know, actually pricing could be important in this, you know, that actually if your prices are too low for the commitment you're asking there's no skin in the game for the client. You know, it's, it's like they're, they're okay with just putting that money in and potentially not getting what they wanted in return from that money.
1: So, and a lower proposal steals possibility from your client. So I, I just started, um, we created, uh, at, a, an executive, which is the executive part of my business. We created, um, a million dollar coaching experience and we've been writing out what that experience would be and the kinds of retreats we would form, um we it starts with this we've gathered together a council a personal and professional board of directors of high-level people either that we know or from your network to advise you throughout this year-long experience and you know we have looked at like having someone work with individually with a stylist having someone do photography at the beginning of their experience at the end so they can actually see the the visual transformation of that experience what we've realized in creating this experience and i i haven't um i'll be totally honest i have not proposed yet the million dollar experience we're not we're not quite ready for that yet. We're still kind of working out the details and making a nice brochure for it. But I have uh, proposed many versions of it at $100,000. And what's amazing is even the clients that said no to that $100,000 proposal, their eyes were like, wow, I'd love to be able to create $100,000 to give that to myself. When I've described that experience of creating a council for them, of doing these different retreats. So I'd love to do that. And it really inspired them to step up and say, wow, this is I could actually invest that amount of money in my development, that my business would be at a place, my life would be at a place where that was a really good investment. And so even if that person didn't say yes to that, I've now created we've created this possibility together, right? And I'm only able to do that from a place of this really serves the clients because I'm holding in this other realm it would be awesome for my life if I could sign a million dollar client. Like it would be amazing. Like I could do a lot of things with that money that would be really awesome for me. And that, that self is equally as true as the part that wants to serve the client. Right. Mm. Um, and it's only in that tension that I can offer something like a million dollar proposal and say, and do it in a way that feels really good and really clean because I'm not asking the client to hold my guilt for me.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. But I, so many things come up, but I like the way that you again, you're that you called it the hunter before and, but it's like owning that part of you that that wants to create and have things and have abundance, have money, you know, you're owning that part of you in a healthy way, rather than what I see a lot of is like, you know, um, it's a kind of uh, resistance against that or a judging of it as being wrong because it's not spiritual. And then it gets, you know, it kind of like hobbles that person. It goes into the shadows and, you know, um, they're not really impacting people in the way they want. Um, I want to ask you though know, you talked about these proposals and that really grabbed me so how, like because i think there's something there for, for for coaches listening of course we're you know there's coaches listening and they a lot of them are um they're really passionate about their work as a coach and they're you know like me and like other coaches are learning about enrollment so um tell me about creating proposals in a way for you that feels like it's um it stretches you, it excites you, it, it, it invites the client into a sense of, you know, that excitement that you just shared before, even if they might say no, like, I'm just curious to know more about that.
1: Yeah, I think the, again, the mistake coaches make around creating proposals is the mistake they make around everything is they try to get it perfect and proposals are about practice. You have to practice the art of creating proposals on the spot, in advance, you have to, it's, it's an art to create a proposal and, um, and it's often the first proposal will get a no and it's how you make that second, third proposal that makes a big difference. So um, actually at the conference we saw each other at, um, the. I got up on stage with Rich and did an analysis of his coaching and I used a tool. That tool was very hard to get on that stage. Um Rich I love Rich and Rich and I have a wonderful relationship but there was a lot of back and forth to to work on that tool together and so I had to modify my proposal multiple times to get them to say yes to that and there was sort of a difference in Rich's approach and my approach where we had to really find a place to meet but what happened is every time I got a no I would say okay I fully receive the no I accept that no and I intend that I'm going I'm still going to keep making this proposal and so I would get the no. I would think about where where he was right, what was helpful about that, and then I would modify that proposal for the person in front of me. So I was staying in this practice of being in proposal, uh, of being in this place if I'm going to keep proposing. So the first thing I would say about it is there no there's no right way to make a proposal. Like you can do any, you can make a proposal out of post it notes. You can do a video. You can you know do a hundred thousand dollar package for one session. You can do any kind of proposal you want the factors that you need to consider as you do a proposal are what percentage of this person's total yearly income is this proposal? And people go, well, it's not about the money. People can create the money. But in reality, if I make $30,000 a year and you make a $30,000 proposal, my enrollment as a coach needs to be really, really good to get you to say yes. You might be able to create the money. You might have a rich relative. I don't know. And there's a reality of, for most people, if you're asking me to give you a year's worth of my salary, I'm going to have to do it. I'm going to have to say this is a really powerful proposal. And probably you're going to have to want to know that I'm going to get that money back or something equal to the value of that money back through that proposal. So that's the one factor. The second factor is what would really serve this person. So both what would serve this person and the package you're creating for them, right? Not what would serve you as the, as the coach, what would really serve this person? And um, what is the price that would serve this person? So I've raised my prices in the moment to uh to for a client in front of me so i, I was working with a coach she charges fifty thousand for dollars for her clients and i said well, you're gonna have to pay me sixty thousand because you've got to invest more in me than you than your clients invest in you because otherwise you know all the things you're struggling with around signing fifty thousand dollar clients they're just going to stay there so that's the second thing you have to think of is what proposal function and what price really serves them also remembering in the back of your mind that the higher prices are good for you i right? don't Don't forget that that's there or try to pretend it's not because it is. You know, it's Mm. when we propose more, we make more money and that feels good. We all want to make more money. Um, Most people, whether they're willing to admit it or not, would like to make more money. And then once you do those, have those two factors down, then it's this art of being in what i would say in the art of proposing of you're making this proposal but you're feeling in and out based upon what you're offering does this match up with the person does this solve the pain that they're experiencing does this speak to the possibility they want to create and really making sure as you're going through that proposal process you are co-creating that experience with them Mm -hmm. and i'll stop talking now because i could go on for a while
0: so so um you um when you make what you'll meet a client you'll talk to them you'll do some coaching maybe and you'll get into like what they're wanting and and then uh, do you often go away and then think about the proposal uh, you know okay like I've got all these ideas and put it or do you think on the spot in that conversation you know it all it all comes in the moment in relationship like
1: so it's
0: both Yeah. yeah so I have
1: frameworks of I know so going in blind doesn't typically work unless you've done a lot of proposals. So if you, you have to really master the basics before you can just start doing it off the cuff and you can, but it's hard, right? Cause you don't really know what the structures look like. So if I were a new coach, I would start off with a couple packages, make the packages very simple and, um, base it off of what the person's talking about in, in the, in the creation conversation. So identifying two or three of the most important things, um, You could do it more. Two or three feel like a really good number. I usually pick something that's very practical that they want to achieve. I pick something that's um, that's based upon their mindset, sort of the the ground of what they what they're doing. And the last thing is usually something special for that individual person that I know would be a real value add. And it's often something that's a little challenging. So I'll you know explain here the three things we're going to work on and find out if they're a yes to those things, and then I'll go in and I'll explain the my basic packages. And if you're a new coach, I would start with two packages, maybe three, six-month package, year-long package. If you want to make it a little more complicated, you can do a, day, a day-long a retreat or a week, kind of week retreat of an hour session a day um, if you want to offer something low-end. But uh, again, for over a year, um, when I was building a six-figure business, I just had two packages, six months and a year. That was it. And the reason why I did that was I wanted to make the proposal simple enough so I could actually practice with this aspect of coaching beyond yes or no because it's usually not the exact – details the proposal that are going to create the person saying yes or no. Um, So I have that basic framework. So now as we've gotten a little more complicated, we have these packages that have a more fully sussed out framework. And I have documentation all about what those frameworks would involve and the different phases we would go through and, and some different add ons that we think are, would really interest people like this council idea doing different kinds of retreats. But in the moment I'm, I'm molding that proposal to the person in front of me. So once you master the basics, then you can do this thing where you create specific frameworks that are kind of like, here are the kinds of frameworks of the work that I like to do with people. And then you can become more flexible What those, what those are, right? Maybe this person wants to do three months of coaching and take a time off. Great. I can create a package for that. So, um, it's both and, and importantly, it's, again, it's this practice. I'm constantly practicing how is my, every, every time I do a proposal, I have a sales sheet, I fill it out. Here's what worked the proposal. Here's what didn't work. Here's what I might do differently next time. Here's the aspects of the proposal work. They want a more structure. They want a more flow. So every time I'm proposing, that's a time for me to practice proposing. So I never have it down perfectly and that's why I'm able to be so dynamic in what I'm proposing to people. So one of the Things I, I mean, there's a lot of in,
0: rich information in that. One of the things I hear is like, um, if you're a new coach, keep it simple in the beginning. Um, you know, um, have a couple of packages and and kind of make sure that you're attuning your proposal, of course, to like the key things that the client wants and what you think would serve them, so that um, you know, of course, then the package just sounds really, um, really something that would inspire them. And um,
1: well, it's keep- almost like uh, it's like karate kata right? If you go watch a new student doing kata, right? They do really simple movements because they need to learn their relationship to their body to those simple movements. And then you go watch advanced kata, they're made up of the simple mood- movements the beginning students were, were using, but the complexity, the variety, the speed at which they're using those movements is, is much increased. It's no different with proposals. When you start off, you need really simple kata. Just saying your numbers, not vomiting, Right and not being like not falling victim to like I'm in total doubt that I'm worth any money at all. That's very hard at first, and then over time you can make your kata more complex. But it's important to to really learn the basic kata first.
0: Mm. Well, we're coming towards the end of our of our conversation, Um, but I'd love to ask you like to come back to this place of. You know, what's like, what's something that someone listening could practice, you know, in relationship to this, this, um, you know, yes and no, the commitment piece. Um, You know, maybe there's something you could give people to, to take away with them, which would be something to practice.
1: So there's, there's kind of three layers of work that I would recommend for people to really look at around this part of the conversation. So the first is how do I uncouple? my sort of need to say is I'm, I'm enough from the gift that you have to give. Very often as coaches, we couple those two, two things together. It's easier when you sell something else, right? If I sell a car, I'm selling something that's not me. And so the value of the car isn't really attached to me. But as coaches, anyone, when, when we are the gift, it's really hard to sell ourselves because what happens is we start to couple together this experience of am I enough with this is the gift I want to give. So the first thing is to start to do the work of that uncoupling. Um, The simplest way to practice, one way to begin practicing that is for one week, make every decision by asking the question in this moment, what would bring me the most joy? Um, And it's a very simple practice, but what you'll discover is that most of your decisions are not based upon your experience of joy. They're based on some obligation. And then you get this opportunity to choose joy and experience guilt. And that, process starts to really uncouple the giving of a gift and this feeling of I'm not enough, which is usually related to some sort of belonging. And so um, that's the first practice. And that's sort of deep personal practice. It's self-mastery. The second thing is I would start to bring more attention to um, the part of the conversation that's coaching beyond yes or no. In some ways, not that you have to phone in the rest of it, but you could actually phone in the rest of it, and if you showed up for that 10% of the coaching conversation, you could still create a lot of change. Just bring more attention to it. Notice what's happening in your body. Notice the feelings that you're experiencing. Notice what's happening for the client. Really become a master of studying coaching beyond yes or no because it is the most important part of the enrollment that you do. And and if you're not getting into those conversations, that's fine. Practice each phase up until that point because in, in many ways, there's little coaching beyond yes or no moments at every part of enrolling a client, connecting with the client, inviting them to a conversation, creating them and inviting them into a proposal. There's are lots of little coaching beyond yes or no moments in, moments in there, but just bring your attention to it. Just really notice it. Begin to study it. That's the, that's the second thing. And the third is find other coaches to practice with. So we have a sales dojo program that we we work with coaches who are have already done some sales and want to master it. We've got a coaching dojo program for people who want to master their craft. Um, but even if it's not one of the programs that we're doing, um, find someone to practice with. Find someone to go through this experience, to give you feedback, to help you with reflection. There is not an athlete, a performer, a craftsman on the planet that does their work inside a bubble without feedback. And Almost all coaches do all their coaching and all their enrollment in a situation where there's no one to give them feedback to no one say, this is what you're doing well, this is where you're struggling. And it's the reason why it takes so long for coaches to learn. You can master giving yourself feedback, but there's just nothing like on this planet, the experience of getting feedback from coaches who really, really want you to succeed.
0: I mean, that last point, I think is so important (laughs) that you just mentioned that, you know, it sounds so obvious when you say it like you say it, but, but I think it's so true, you know, like there's the, one of the simple reasons that coaches are taking so long to, to learn how to enroll their coaching practice is because they don't practice and they don't necessarily go to sources who can have, who have powerful distinctions to make like you've made today. Um, and then they invite them into a space where they practice and, 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 uh, you know it sounds kind of crazy but but um, what a what a beautiful thing to take a stand for um, so and I know you just mentioned that you you 've got your um, coaching samurai dojo and and the sales dojo. maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. I know you've got a program coming up um, thing, yeah absolutely but, yeah.
1: Um, so what uh, i mean I, the coaching dojo samurai coaching dojo is this is a it's my passion project so I have a one on one executive coaching business that Honestly, it will be much easier just to run that business. And um, I'm very well aware of the coaches, coaching coaches. And I think if you hire a coach, you should hire a coach who actually coaches real people. Nothing wrong with coaching coaches, coaches, and there's great coaches who coach coaches. So I I love those coaches. But I think if you want to learn how to be a coach who coaches real people, work with one who does. Um, I created, Christina and I created the Samurai Coaching Jojo because we, in 18 months, I built a six-figure coaching business. I was in 4PC by many of the people in the group, they said, you're an incredible coach. And I didn't understand why other coaches were struggling to build businesses, even though there's a ton of information out there about it. I read the same books they did, went to the same workshops, and I excelled. And I was not super successful in my previous life. Like, I had a lot of jobs, but I was not a super. I was not a corporate lawyer. I was not the CEO of a company. I probably, the most I'd ever made in a year before I became a coach was maybe $40,000. So this isn't just like, oh, I was a rich white guy in some other world, and then I figured out how to be a rich white guy in coaching, which is an enormous amount of what I hear when I go to personal development conferences. I was not successful until I became a coach. And and I taught myself using these techniques how to become really successful doing something that I love. And so we created it because... Every time I meet a coach, I realize that this is a person that can change the world. This is a person that has the potential to change and transform the lives of hundreds of people. And if we want to live in a better world, if we want to live in a world where deep awakening is created, we need to have really powerful coaches out there in the world. And the truth is our coaching industry has failed us. They have created excellent means to create competency, but have done very little to create mastery. And there's so much distraction. There's so many voices talking about so many things. We created the coaching dojo as a call back to there is a foundational thing that cuts across schools, that cuts across techniques, that can make every coach into a master coach. And that is practice, deliberate, focused practice, studying the masters, getting feedback, understanding different frameworks, creating frameworks yourself, creating different ways of models of coaching yourself. Like it's not just from coaching. This is from studies of other areas of mastery. We created the coaching dojo as a place for coaches to come together and do that foundational practice. Mm -hmm. So if you're a kind of coach who loves mastery, who wants to master enrollment as an active service, as an active business, if you want to come and master your craft as a coach, and really learn here, here's the way to keep creating mastery throughout your whole life. We're down because we want to create an army of incredibly powerful, masterful coaches to solve the crisis we're having in this world around leadership, around organizations, around connection. And um, I'm just completely dedicated to doing it because as I love coaching executives, I can only coach, you know, five to six at a time. That's just not enough. We need hundreds of thousands of coaches going out there and changing the world. And that's why we created the Samurai Coaching dojo where can
0: we find out more about what you're up to?
1: Yeah, so if, if you want to go to our website, website's just uh, SamuraiCoachingDojo.com. I think you can also go to CoachingDojo.com and it directs to us, so either one. And um, if people are interested in learning more about um, either the Coaching Dojo or uh, the Sales Dojo or just want to know about mastery and enrollment, we've got on our, um, on our page, uh, there's a link at the top that says free courses. We've got a course on Uh, coaching mastery. We've got a mini course on honorable enrollment. We've got a couple of cool events. You can download one called master coaches fight to the death where uh, two coaches, um, Adam and Bay Quiney, who are going to be sensei in the, in the coaching dojo um, the spring of 2018 um, they their husband wife pair and they actually compete against a client uh, compete against each other for a client we've got a sensei session with <laughs> christina berkeley from hatch who's also involved in Evercoach. so we've got a lot of cool resources so even if you're not ready to sign up for a dojo right now um go to that free courses link at the top and and check those out and um we'd love to have you be one of these coaches out there who are doing practice in the world um i'd love to talk again sometime soon and um, go into
0: this topic, you know, that we end with, which is like the mastery of coaching, because I think, you know, we believe that a coach is rising too. It's like the the field is is um is ready to mature. You know, it's ready to ripen. It's it's there's so many beautiful things about this industry, about this field, and and like there's also a lot of work to be done and a lot of fun to be had in that process of sincere, dedicated practice. So, um, I've had a lot of fun today, Toki. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's super fun to talk about this stuff. I hope I didn't um, bore anyone with all my geekiness, but Hey, if, if it speaks to you, like I, we need coaching geeks. We need people who are going to yeah. be that passionate about the industry. So um, thank you for creating this podcast. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for speaking to all those, you know, little world changers out there who are out doing their, doing their one on work with people to, and having that big impact. I really appreciate it.